darkened world that's lost in sin. It has no joy, no hope within. How will they see the Savior's love? How will they find a home above? So we must go and preach the word and share the truth till all have heard where we heed the call and go and tell that heaven's real but so is hell ye are the light is the Savior's plea So let it shine and shine it bright. Will you heed the call? Will you be the light? Ye are the light, is the Savior's plea. Ye are the light for all to see. So let it shine and shine it bright. Will you heed the call? Will you be the light? Will you heed the call? Will you be the light? Amen. Wonderful. Man, I was trying to think how I can get one of these groups to travel with me. I could, could offer them a dollar a meeting, you know. <laughs> Wonderful. I, have, I just enjoy the music, man. That's, that's enough to make a Baptist say amen right there. So I, I enjoy that. So good to see you on a Monday night. Appreciate you being out tonight. And appreciate all the hard work and the desserts being made up there and all of that. And man, I love to hear from these missionaries. I just love to hear, man, what a challenging place that missionary is in. And him talking about those people that he's dealing with. I had the first uh, opportunity of my ministry I, this past year. I got to go to uh, preach in the Navajo Nation. And uh, it's just past the, uh, the New Mexico border into Arizona. But it's a whole different country. You know, it's a mission field right here in the middle of America they have their own police uh, force. They have their own government. Uh, you know, just some very exceeding things that they would have the FBI help with or that kind of thing. But pretty much they run their own, own show. And it's just, but so much of that spiritism is there. And uh, just the unbelievable corruption. And yet, uh, and I remember this, this pastor I preached for, his daddy started there. And was there for 20 years before he ever got a church established. 20 years. Just faithful at it. Now him and his son, his son now is working there as well. And they have 10 churches established now. I mean with buildings and everything. It's just incredible. But it took a long time to break through. And I thought of that dear brother when he's talking about the challenge where he's at there and that's why we need to pray for these missionaries, amen? 
They have a tremendous work there. But those people need Jesus as much as we do. And uh, so that was a blessing. I, I enjoyed all of that. I, uh, I mentioned to Brother Josh that I was thinking about having a cup of coffee. And I said, but it may, I may end up preaching three hours. He said, don't have it. <laughs> and so I didn't. And uh, anyway, I, I'll try not to keep you too late tonight. Uh, you know, you try to stay awake if you would, please. I don't mind if you fall asleep, just don't snore. All right. And I, I appreciate that. You know, it's like that little boy that was coming home. Or I'm on his way to church, and, and his mama said to him, Now, Billy, uh, we, we don't, uh, we listen very carefully in church, and we don't talk, we don't play in church. And a little while she said again, Now, Billy, remember at church, you be very quiet, and don't you make any noise. And uh, he, she said, Now, Billy, why do we be quiet in church? He said, Because the people are sleeping. So hopefully that won't be the case tonight. So let's open our Bibles, if you would, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We read from this last night, but I want to look at a little different angle tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in your Bible. I've thoroughly enjoyed the day. I thank you. Uh, preacher had a funeral he had to do today, so he had a, a couple of the young men take me out to eat. We went and got some good Mexican food this afternoon and got on fire for the Lord. So it, it, was, it was good. I enjoyed it, enjoyed the fellowship. And, uh, and then again tonight for our evening meal, uh, Mrs. O'Donnell, wonderful meal again. And the Lord knows I ate way too much, but I enjoyed it. It was wonderful. 2 Corinthians 9. And as we mentioned last night, this, this uh, offering that's being taken here that's referenced is not talking about the tithes. It's talking about a special offering that was being taken for the poor in Jerusalem. And uh, Paul is reminding them once again that they had made a commitment that they had not fulfilled. And I would just want to encourage you, when you pray and get the will of God about a commitment that you make, then that should be a priority. You make that commitment and watch God provide for the rest. And He will. He will. I've seen it through all these years, he will. Well, here in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, it says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye ha always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness." being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth us uh, through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God, whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them. And unto all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God. And I love this. 
it's almost like Paul talking about giving just can't help himself. And he says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Isn't that our great motivation in giving? What the Lord did for us in giving us the most unspeakable gift that God would give to sinful man, his own son, for forgiveness and salvation. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. I'm not preaching on that, but it sure is a wonderful verse to preach on. But I want you to notice in the passage we read how often the reference in this Christian life, the references made in the, in the Scripture in comparison to farming, the sowing of a seed, the reaping of a harvest. We see it over and over. We see it here. He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. He which soweth uh, sparingly shall reap sparingly. We see it over and over. This matter of God using farming as an illustration in this matter of the Christian life and our service for Him and our effort for Him and our giving for Him. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 6. It said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything... Neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Look at verse 9. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. What an amazing thing that you and I get to labor together with God Almighty. But again we see this reference, husbandry. It's farming. We see this sowing and watering and the reaping. I want, to, I want to just preach a simple message tonight because that's all I know how to preach is simple messages. So I want to preach to you tonight about stewardship and farming. Would you ask God to show you a lesson tonight? I'm going to look at three different kinds of farmers mentioned in the Scripture and you just see where God sees you in your Christian life in this matter of sowing and reaping, in this matter of farming, as a co-laborer with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we need you tonight. We thank you for the wonderful day you've allowed us to enjoy today. We ask you tonight, Lord, that you'd please again. Lord, we waste our time if you don't meet with us. And we are asking again, Lord, that you'd manifest your power and presence in our midst. And Lord, in this very important matter, which I agree with what the preacher said yesterday, the very reason you have your church here, that we could get the gospel to everybody within our reach. And then, Lord, to those outside of our reach around the world. So, Lord, please, during this missions conference, I know this is something that is great, great importance to your heart. So would you help us, Lord? And I want to be a help, and I want to be an encouragement. And I ask you, please help me, fill me, give my mind clarity tonight. And help me to put emphasis where you want it, Lord. And do a work that would matter for all of eternity is our desire, Lord. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. We are co-laborers with, with the Lord. It's an amazing thing. I, I remember a number of years ago, I was preaching out in California. 
a pastor said to me, Brother Booth, have you ever met evangelist so-and-so? I said, I've heard his name. I've never met him. And he said, would you like to meet him? He's uh, going to be preaching a meeting just about 30 minutes from us, and, and uh, we could maybe get together for lunch or something. I said, sure, I'd love that. And so we did. And I met this evangelist, and man, we just bonded right away, and a good man of God. And, and we began to share different things that the Lord had allowed us to go through. And I was sharing with him some of the, the things that, that God had allowed my wife and I to go through and some difficulties and trials. And, and I said, boy, God sure knows how to humble you, but I guess he doesn't need me proud. And he looked at me and he said, you know the amazing thing, Brother Booth? He doesn't need you at all. <laughs> I said, you're exactly right. He can use the rocks to cry out if he wants to. But he gives you and I the privilege to co-labor with him. I mean, what a privilege that we have to co-labor with the Lord. And we see this, 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 uh, this illustration over and over used about stewardship and, and the fact that, that, uh, that there's our part and there's his part. And he illustrates this with this, this husbandry or this farming or planting of seed and sowing and, and uh, uh, sowing the seed and watering and harvesting and so with every uh, uh, co-laboring, there's always our responsibility and his responsibility. And with, his, with our responsibility, we have accountability to the one who is the master. And it's so important to understand, in, in this, this life as a Christian, you know God's not impressed with any, any titles. <laughs> I'm an evangelist. That's a calling that God has put in my life. But, but God's will for me is not import, more important than God's will for you. And you're, we're all just ministers. That's what we are. We're just ministers. It's a wonderful thing when you come to the point in your Christian life where you realize you're not an owner. You see, every good gift comes from, from the Father above. All that we have belongs to Him. As a Christian, we don't own anything. We're just stewards. We just get the privilege to co-labor, to put the, 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 the gifts that he gives us to where he wants it to be. We're co-laborers. It's a wonderful thing. And, and I think such a privilege. Well, I want you to consider with me. Look over at Luke chapter 16 real quick. Luke 16. And notice verse 1. To me, this is a very convicting thought. It says, And he said unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he calleth him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Well, the fact is, child of God, we don't know how much longer we have. We certainly see on the horizon every evidence that our Lord's coming soon. And I pray every day, even so, come quickly, Lord. But I'm going to tell you, we, the time that, we, that God has given us, my, my oldest sister, I have, I have four, uh, three siblings, and I'm the youngest, and my oldest sister and I have always been the closest because we have the same biblical convictions, and her and her husband have been faithful through the years. And, and, uh, but my oldest sister just went to be with the Lord about five months ago, and, and she's no longer steward. Now, thank God, she's got great relief. She's having the time of her life, and that's the, that's the hope that we have. We don't sorrow like others that have no hope. We have that hope. 
But, and I'm thankful, all my, all my memory as a young boy growing up, my sister always had a, a testimony for the Lord and served the Lord. But there will be that time for every one of us that we're going to, our, our, our days of sowing are going to be over. And we need to get serious. Amen. I'm telling you, we're in a time today that Christians, we better start practicing Bible Christianity. And we don't know how much more time there is. And for many of us, I'm, who knows? The Lord knows. I, I mean, the youngest person sitting here may be the next one to go. We don't know that. But we, we need to do what we can do while we can do it. Well, I want you to consider with me three types of farmers. And you just kind of can see what uh, category you might fit in. First of all, go to Proverbs chapter 24 with me. Proverbs 24. That's right after Proverbs 23. I'm trying to be helpful tonight. Proverbs 24, look at verse 30. It says, I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. This is the gambling farmer. He ignores the laws of nature. He, he gambles on the outcome. He just hopes it's all going to turn out okay. This, you know, there is a law of sowing and reaping. You can't ignore the law of gravity without consequences. You can stand up on top of this building and say, I don't believe in the law of gravity and jump off. And soon you're going to believe in the law of gravity because there's consequences. And just as there's consequences for that, there's consequences to sowing and reaping. This farmer procrastinates in his sowing. In springtime, he, he doesn't do what other farmers are doing. He's just kind of hoping for the best. Midsummer comes along and he decides, okay, I better start planting real hard and hope for a full harvest. The problem is the seed is going uh, to uh, perish from the drought. You see, this farmer has all the excuses why he can't teach a Sunday school class. This farmer has the excuses why he can't give like other people give. You just don't understand all that's on me. This farmer has all the excuses that, uh, you know, he can't work on a bus router. There's nothing for him to do in the church. He doesn't have any special gifts. It, it, you just, you know, you just got to understand. Uh, uh, this, this, this farmer always chooses the, the choice of, of the most ease. The job's too big, too dangerous, a lion's without. I don't do mornings. <laughs> don't poke your spouse, I'll see you. <laughs> this is the gambling farmer. He doesn't like accountability. He doesn't like the pastor checking on him in his spiritual life. He always wants another chance. Uh, you know, I, I know I, I blew it, but I, hey, it's, give me another chance. 
He doesn't like the rules and the laws. That makes you a legalist. I mean, you know, if, 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 there shouldn't be anything expected out of me. I'm under grace. Can I tell you something? Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Titus chapter 2. Grace teaches us. doesn't give us an excuse to just do whatever we want. That's the lazy philosophy of much Christianity today. It's the gambling farmer. Hey, I, I just need more me time. It's about me. I, I just need, you know, we just need to love ourselves more. Show me one verse in the Bible that shows that. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Apostle Paul said, have no confidence in the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You look at, at Proverbs chapter 20. Look at verse 4. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. Look at Proverbs chapter 15. Verse 19. The way of the slothful man is in hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. See, this is that gambling farmer. He just hopes it really doesn't come out like the preacher said. This guy comes to church. He, he needs a job. He needs some help. He gets some help. He gets a job, but he doesn't tithe, and he's not faithful. And not before long, he loses his job. And somehow, it's, it's God's fault. This is that gambling farmer. I've met him. I was pastoring in Louisiana. There was a man and his wife came and visited our church. I was so glad to see him. And, and we, we talked a little bit. He had been a youth pastor in a very large church in the South back in the 70s. And, and uh, it was a well-known church. And during that time, he got discouraged and, and he, got, uh, he, he got away from the Lord some and he, he got in some ungodly habits and ended up his wife left him and, and, and things just went on a downhill slide. When he came to our church, he had been he'd remarried. But he was without a job. He, couldn't, couldn't, uh, he was about ready to get evicted from his house. He couldn't make his car payment. And he shared that with me. And I said, brother, let's pray. God can do amazing things. Let's just, you get back on track. Like God wants you to get back on track and see if God doesn't help you. And we began to pray as a church. And he was there Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And man, God was good. And God opened the door. He got a job. He got his bills caught up. And we never saw him again. It's the gambling farmer. You don't want to live your Christian life in that realm. Because see, one day your stewardship is over. And the Bible tells us that every one of us one day is going to stand before the Lord. And we're not going to, those of us who are saved are not going to give an account for our sin, thank the Lord. That's under the blood. But I'm going to tell you what we're going to give an account for. The Bible tells us we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to give an account for those things which are done in our bodies, whether they be good or bad. That means the opportunities that God gives us. I sometimes look and say, dear Lord, you've been so good to me. I grew up in a Christian home. I had a Christian mom and dad. I mean, in our home, there was peace. 
I'd have friends that would come over just to watch a ball game because there was peaceful in my home. I grew up with a mom and dad. They never claimed to be perfect, but they loved each other and they loved the Lord. You know, I mean, I never ever heard my mother ever say a bad word about my dad my whole entire life. I mean, when I was growing up, even when I got married and I'd call back home and I'd talk to mom and she'd always say, boy, I tell you, I wish everybody could have a, 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 a husband like God gave me. Son, your daddy has just been so wonderful in my life. She always bragged on my dad. You know what that did for a young man? And then I see so many Christians today in so many homes that their kids are struggling because mom and dad don't know how to get along. And I'm thinking how good you've been to me, but can I tell you something? To whom much is given, much shall be required. And one day when we stand before the Lord, he's going to say, Booth, I put you in a Christian home. What'd you do with that? You, you're able to have a Bible all of your life. What'd you do with it? You knew how to win souls from the time you were young. What'd you do about that? You know, you, you've been given provisions. Did you tithe? Did, did you give to missions? I mean, there's most of the world would love to live in America and be able to have the money that you've had. You see, one day the stewardship will be over. You don't want to stand before the Lord and watch him put wood, hay, and stubble and it burn before your very eyes and you stand before the Lord and say, boy, I wish I had something, Lord, to cast at your feet to let you know how much I appreciate that you loved me and saved me. But Lord, I was that gambling farmer and I just wasted and I, I, didn't, I didn't sow when I should have sown. I didn't have much to reap now. And I'm not able to show you the love I've had for you. That's that gambling farmer. You don't want to be in that category. I want you to notice another farmer. He's the controlling farmer. He's the one that follows the laws of nature religiously. He's the one that studies everything on seeds and soil and weather. He plants on time. He ensures the outcome he desires. He gets a good crop and he becomes very self-confident. I mean, he might even ask God to help him to farm well. Others soon come to ask his advice. He's a workaholic. He's driven. He's a perfectionist. He's intense on making sure that he does everything that he can to make things to be a success. He can't tolerate being vulnerable. If it's not a he, her name might be Martha. He can't handle surprises. And I want to tell you something. These folks make real good Pharisees, but they make real poor Christians. Because God's not interested in you controlling everything. And God's not interested in you having all of your plans. He wants to be in control. And he doesn't want your plans because he knows better plans. This is a controlling farmer. Everything's got to be handled just right. I mean, often he's miserable because he's driven by the fear of failure and loss of control. He doesn't let anyone get too close to him because one time he got hurt by somebody. 
You know, we got churches full across America of people that have been hurt by somebody. And now they keep everybody at a distance. And can I tell you something? You can't minister to anybody if you don't love them. And you can't love them at a distance. But if you love them, you're going to get hurt. Guaranteed. But sometimes God wants to work through that hurt. But that controlling farmer, he just kind of makes sure that he's always safe. He's got his safe space. He wants the church oftentimes to run as a business. And he feels called to be the watchdog over everything. He struggles with faith and trust outside of himself. Faith promise and love offerings, that just kind of doesn't fit into his plans and his budget. He questions every penny in the business meetings of the church. He calculates his tithe. He's the controlling farmer. I mentioned the other day, Judas was the only one I find in Scripture that ever questioned the financial gift of the Lord. This person wants to stay in control. And can I say, in 45 years of ministry, I've seen a lot of ladies struggle with this. <laughs> Is it safe? I'm not trying. God knows God's blessed me with a wonderful wife. I had a wonderful mama. But I'm going to tell you something. Ladies, God's not interested in you being in control. I was just with a preacher that told me he was really going through some financial hardships. And one of the couples in the church, a young couple that had gotten saved and really committed and faithful into everything. And, and the man came up and said, preacher, man, I feel like God put on my heart to give you a thousand dollars. And I've got it. I've got it in savings. But my wife said no. That's a crying shame. That's a crying shame. So oftentimes, I think because ladies feel that need for security, they won't let their husbands lead. Yeah, but you don't know. You don't know my husband. He doesn't always make the right decisions. And you do? But you see, God has a plan. You can't improve on God's program. Amen. But we have to trust Him and let go and say, I don't have to be in charge. You have your way, God. I'm going to trust you with that. My mother's favorite verses were Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Listen, we get in trouble when we think we have to have everything figured out and understand everything. There's still things I study in the Bible that I don't understand. But I know I can trust my God. And I know he's got a good purpose and in his plans. He always knows what's right. And when he puts something in the Bible like women are to, to follow their husband, that's not by mistake. That matter of submission is not just for wives. It's for church members with the pastoral leadership in our spiritual life. And us men, you know, well, you know, our pastor's not perfect. Great revelation. And you think that you're perfect and your wife's supposed to submit to you? No, God doesn't, doesn't use perfect people down here. Well, none of us perfect. 
But God's plan is perfect. And we've got to trust Him. It's not about us figuring out what's best. He knows what's best. This controlling farmer, that rich young ruler, his problem was he wasn't about to give up that money because that money meant power to him and he could stay in control of his life. And he chose to reject salvation rather than surrender that money. Controller. You don't want to stand before the Lord as a controlling farmer. Well, let's consider the, the third one. That's the trusting farmer. He also keeps the laws of nature. He's diligent, but has a totally different motive. His goal isn't the results of a bumper crop, but rather faithfulness to the master that he loves. His labors from a heart of gratefulness and thankfulness. He trusts in his master. A wonderful illustration of that was Nehemiah. Man, read the book of Nehemiah. It's amazing. Go there with me real quick. Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll just read a couple of verses. Some of you thought I was going to read the whole book and you just passed out. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, and it came to pass in the month uh, Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace. That's interesting, he's in Persia. That's modern day Iran. That Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Here's Nehemiah, he's not a preacher. He's not a prophet. He's a cupbearer to the king. And here Nehemiah is in this foreign country where they had been taken captive years before. Now there's been a group that has been released to go back to Jerusalem. He's asking how they're, they're faring, how they're doing. He said, and, and the report is they're under great affliction, under great reproach. And the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. Say, what's the big deal about that? Well, that meant that it was open opportunity for attack on the temple where the glory of God dwelled. And when Nehemiah heard this, keep in mind, he's just a cupbearer. He's not a prophet. He's not a preacher. It says in verse 4, and it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And you know what Nehemiah did? If you know the story, he went to the king and he begged for permission to go back to Jerusalem. He's not a prophet. He's not the preacher. He's not the one in charge, but he had a burden. And his burden was for the glory of God. And he took the, the, the challenge. 
He had never gone back and built walls. There's no record that Nehemiah knew how to do all that stuff. But he said, somebody's got to do it. And I'm going to trust God to help me. And he went back there. And he rebuilt those walls. And he reestablished some civility in Jerusalem. But he, it wasn't that he had great experience and great confidence in, his, in himself. He trusted God. And I'm going to tell you, you know what our churches need? We need some more folks that just trust God. And you know, man, somebody needs to teach that class. Lord, I don't know that I could do a good job, but I'll, I'll be willing, Lord. I'll trust you. I mentioned to the young men today at lunch, I said, guy, young guys ask me all the time, you know, when do you get to the place you're not nervous before you preach? I said, I don't know. I'll let you know if I ever get there. It's a huge responsibility. I don't think I can get up and do a good job. I know that I need God, but I know what he's called me to do. And so I'm trusting God with it. We, we got to have some folks to get the vision. Oh, man, I, I don't know if I'm a very good soul winner, but, man, that's what God wants me to do. I'm going to do it. Go out and stumble through it. You say, man, I'm just shy. I get real nervous. I have a hard time talking to people. Buy a pacifier and go. <laughs> but just go. That's what we're here to do. Really, some of the most amazing soul, soul winners I've seen stuttered terribly. And yet somehow when they stopped somebody, began to talk to them about the Lord, God just gave them clarity. I've seen it. It was just somebody who trusted God. Folks, we got to get out of this realm of thinking. We got to figure out everything so we can feel comfortable about it. Hey, let's just ask God if it's His will. And if it's His will, we can be comfortable about it. We can trust Him when it comes to giving to missions. It's not about what I can figure that's going to work. It's God, what do you want? And when God gives you that peace and assurance of what He wants, you can trust Him. And He'll provide. People have many times come and said, well, I, I, just, I, don't, I don't know how I could afford to tithe. You can't afford not to tithe. You just see it in the scripture and say, God said it. Well, John Rice used to say the definition of faith is simply finding a promise in the book. You do your part, believing God will do his part. This trusting farmer, he's not trying to gain the Lord's love. He's giving because the Lord so loved him. He's excited to get the master's direction and instruction. He's not trying to bargain or work a deal. He looks to give more, not keep more. He's a cheerful giver. He's not worrying about his profit. He knows his master's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. His master's generous. You, watch, you read the story of David and Goliath. Amazing. David didn't go into battle because he thought, man, I know enough MMA moves, I can handle that giant. <laughs> no, David said the battle is the Lord's. Hey, he's delivered me from, the, from a lion. He's delivered me from a bear. He can handle this, this Philistine. His confidence was in God. We need a revival of getting back to trusting God. You young men that feel that the Lord wants you in the ministry. Man, it... it 
I don't know. I don't know if I could start a church. And you can't. But God can. I don't know if I could be a good pastor. You can't. But God can. It's about Him. I had the privilege to go preach in the Philippines a number of years ago. I'd love to go back again. And, um, but I went to the Philippines and preached for three weeks. I preached for a pastor, a Filipino pastor. And he pastored five churches at one time. And very early, they get up very, very early in the mornings. And, and, and he'd get up early in the Sunday morning and he'd go to the first church. And then he'd ride his bicycle down the path to the next little uh, uh, thing through the jungle. And he'd preach at that church and go to the next one. Five, five churches, he'd get to the last one. They'd have a little meal for him, and then he, they would have a service there, and then he would come back and do the evening services. Pastor five churches. He said, he said, Pastor, he said, my people quit tithing many years ago. I said, Brother Eddie, it's scriptural to tithe. Oh, no, no, Pastor, I understand. I'm saying that's kindergarten level. They've grown way past that now. I said, Brother Eddie, what does the average Christian in your church make as far as like American money? He would say, oh, you know, maybe $60 a month. I said, well, what do they give? He said, most give at least 30%. I wonder why so many folks are getting saved in the Philippines. You think maybe God looks down and says, man, they really love me. What would God do if we just trusted Him? If we just let Him have His way? I was preaching a number of years ago in, in Ohio. I can't remember exactly where it was. I think it was a little bit north of here somewhere. And, and I remember I preached, it was a Sunday through Friday meeting. We used to do those back then. And I remember there was a, a very humble lady that was there every night of the meeting. You could tell when you preached that she was just soaking it in. And, and, and I was packing up at the end of the meeting and I was getting ready to, to, to head out. And, and she was one of the last ones to come out the door. And she come over and she shook my hand. And, she, and I felt there was currency in the hand. And I just said, thank you, ma'am. You don't have to do any. Oh, yes, I do, Brother Booth. She said, you see, God told me to do it. And so I'm delighted to do it. I didn't even look and see what it was. I just stuck it in my pocket. Sometime after she had left, I reached in, I pulled it out. It was a $100 bill. I always let the pastor know if anybody gives me money because I think the pastor ought to know. And so I let the pastor know. He said, Brother Booth, let me tell you about that little lady. He said she was a pastor's wife for many years. Her husband left her with another woman. And she has been faithful in our church and never misses anything. And her great delight is to serve the Lord. He said, Brother Booth, she has nothing. She lives in the tiniest little apartment. She has, has hardly, anything, hardly enough to eat on. We try to make sure she's taken care of. But she just loves the Lord. And I remember getting in my car and saying, thinking, dear Lord, that dear lady loved you enough. Probably to her, 
That was $1,000 that she put in my hand. Why did she do that? She was a trusting farmer. She said, God told me. I got to do what the Lord told me to do. Can I beg you this week? Find out what God wants you to do. And trust Him. See what the Lord will do. You might be shocked. I love the story of the businessman came to his pastor and, and, and wrote out a check and, and said, Pastor, I, I, the business is doing good and you know I I've, I've just want to give you this check. And it was sizable. He said, now, Pastor, just use it wherever the church needs it. And he walked out and Pastor had it sitting on his desk. And he said, uh, about two days passed, the man came back in and he said, Pastor, I'm embarrassed, but man, I had a whole freight of supplies coming in on ship and that ship sunk and we lost all the supplies. He said, do you still have that check on your desk? He said, yes, brother, it's sitting right here. He said, do you mind if I have it back? He said, not at all, I understand. He gave it back to him. He tore it up in front of the pastor threw it in the trash can, got out his checkbook. He wrote a check for three times the amount. Said, I better put invest it someplace that I won't lose it. Amen. Where are you fitting tonight? Are you that gambling farmer? Yeah, I know. I've heard the preacher preach it all, and I know what I should be doing, and I'm not doing it. and I know what I need to stop, but I just keep on doing it. But I just, you know, hopefully it's going to work out. I know how to tithe, I know how to give, I've heard it all, you know, you're not going to impress me with any more illustrations. Are you the gambling farmer? One day the stewardship will be over and we will give an account. Are you that controlling farmer? Man, we just can't, we just better not. I just don't think we, I know that's what we think God wants, but I just don't think we should do that. I want to keep everything. You know, parents, it'd be a wonderful thing if you trust God with your children. I know, I know parents that don't want their children to go to Bible college or don't want their children to go into the ministry because you're going to struggle all your life. You're not going to have much money or anything. You'll be a whole lot better to recognize that those children don't belong to you. They're a heritage of the Lord. We don't raise our children to be good citizens. We raise them to be godly. To follow the Lord, to trust the Lord. Are you that controlling farmer? Or are you that trusting farmer? Maybe tonight it'd be good for us to come to the altar and say, Dear Lord, I'm ashamed that I haven't trusted you of all you could be trusted, Lord. And I've had more trust in myself than in you, Lord. Maybe some of us need to come and say, Lord, I know, I know what I should be doing. I, I just I've not been obedient to you. It's missions conference time. It's time that we say, okay, Lord, if it's impossible to please you outside of faith, then I need to stop and evaluate, are you really pleased with me, Lord? Most Christians, if you ask them if they're living by faith, they just look at you like you fell off of a horse somewhere. But we ought to be able to know if we're living by faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. That's the trusting farmer. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, we love you. We thank you again for the time we've had this evening. And Lord, would you help us, Lord, as I know folks are here, because, Lord, it's, it's their church missions conference, and they're desiring, Lord, to be a part 
Would you help us, Lord, to be honest with you? If there's some things, Lord, that aren't right, maybe some of us, Lord, pastor doesn't know, nobody else knows, but there's things we know better. And we're gambling. And thinking we're not going to have the consequences. Would you help us tonight, Lord? Some of us, Lord, are that perfectionist controller. We live with such anxiety because we have such a hard time just putting things in your hands and trusting you. Lord, as it comes to this matter of giving, help, Lord. Speak to your people what it is that you want. And help us, Lord, to be that trusting child of God that lives by faith. Bless the invitation now, I pray. Would you stand with me, please?